Hello, this is Talking to Titans with me, Gudrun Moore, Professor of Genetics at UCL's Institute of Child Health. And me, Kathy June Grandy, UCL alumni, art historian and conservation scientist. This is a podcast about perseverance, timeless wisdom, among other things, and it's called Talking to Titans. Over seven episodes, we're chatting to women who have built incredible careers in UCL, academia and beyond. Gudrun and myself have been great friends and mentors for a long time now. Recently, we've been having discussions together about the challenges faced by women in academic institutions and other working situations. In this podcast, we're going to open up those conversations to women who we look up to, hearing how they've managed both the highs and lows in their careers. Joining us for this episode is Stella Bruzzi. Hello, thank you for having me. Stella, you're the Dean of Arts and Humanities at UCL, but you've had a rich career overall. What have been the highlights? Um, I was in television for three years. I left my PhD behind. Then I had to finish my PhD. Bristol said, if you don't finish it, we're going to strike you off our books. I thought, that's a shame. I had a grant in three years. And then I followed my heart and went back into academia. My first permanent role was at Royal Holloway, University of London, where I was for 13. I kind of thought, then I'll stay at Royal Holloway for my entire life, or I move now. Then I went to Warwick. I was at Warwick for 10 years. I, there I was head of department and dean, and I got a big research grant And I moved to UCL in 2017 as dean. What attracted you to UCL? When I saw the job, and especially, I mean, this was a real feeling when I was offered it, I never thought I would work at a place as good as UCL. And I think that goes back to uh, probably gender, but also probably being film and television studies. I mean... Had I stayed in English, which is what I was going to do, I mean, I had a place to do a a Renaissance drama PhD at Oxford, and then I decided not to do that, that I wanted to do theatre and film. I could have had a very different life. Mm -hmm. And it's a great faculty. I was really sold on it in terms of it's got the Slade, it's got various other things. It's the, the, the sense of history as well as dynamism. What are the highlights? The highlights of my career... Probably, well, I do remember getting my first permanent job. That was a big one. I was getting married end of the week. So I was sort of choosing the hymns for the church still. And then I was just about to get my hen night. And I got the call saying I got the job. And although oh. it was incredibly badly paid, I mean, it was a... It was a job. It was a, it was a job. It was, it was just over half what I'd earned at the BBC. Wow. So it was a significant pay drop. But I thought yeah. I've made this decision to change careers. So you were following your heart rather than your pocket. I was following my heart rather than my pocket. um, And it very much felt like that for quite a few years. And you would advise people to do that in their career choices? I mean, in your... Yeah, I think ultimately that's a really important decision. I mean, I have seen people who work in order to fund their life, as it were. And my father's very much always been one of those. He was a chemical engineer all of his life. He hardly ever talked about his job. I think he quite enjoyed it, but it wasn't all-consuming. But he just saw it as a means to enable him to go to the theatre, to take holidays, whatever. But I always feel that it is ultimately you spend so much of your time working 
that if you don't enjoy it, that's a problem. I agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, when you think about how much time you spend on your job. But there is sometimes an issue of having enough money to live on within a family. For example, if you need to have childcare. And academia notoriously doesn't pay as well as many other professions. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, I did, this was not necessarily something I'd recommend. I did delay having my first child, having switched careers. I thought, I've got to get this career up and running before I start having children. Then, of course... It didn't happen like clockwork because it never does. So I ended up being actually quite ancient when I had my children. But never mind. I've got them and they're lovely. Um, But I went back to work. I was living in London at that point and I did the sums and I hardly had anything left. I worked out with a colleague that, uh, that London day nurseries in those days were the equivalent of Eton in terms of the wow. amount of money because well Eton was only for term time but yeah. this was every day yeah. including if you wanted to do it Christmas Eve but a female a colleague of mine said Stella don't do the sums you've made a decision you've made a decision to carry on working it'll just crucify you if you sit there and say I feel hard because you can't by. take it back I mean you can't take the child back and say you know yeah. I can't afford you <laughs> yes you can't take the child back and it also it would have not been sensible in the long run to have given up the job you make it work don't you how yeah. did you make it work How did I make it work? I swapped two days. I had a day off on Friday and I worked for a day at the weekend. So I had that as my... So my research day became a weekend day so that our son had three days out of seven of parent as opposed to nursery. Although I think actually he quite liked nursery, but, (laughs) you know, I don't... And I've always commuted. Suddenly the traffic... I used to rely on the M25 nothing was moving and I'd arrive late to pick up my son and if a friend hadn't been able to pick him up well then I had very angry nursery Nursery people and you have to pay a fine now now yes oh yeah oh well it was different in 1999 (laughs) (laughs) how much of a role do you feel gender plays in our career choices I think directly or indirectly quite a lot quite a big role It's always, then I'll think about academia, but it's always interested me the number of film editors, film and TV editors who who are women. And although I haven't done any research of this, I'm assuming it's because it's more regular, it's closer to home, you're not going filming, it's easier if you've Mm. got kids. Directors of photography, Photography. there are more men. Right. And I mean, as I say, this is purely, this, this is not a scientific study, but I think it actually makes quite a big difference. I think one makes these conscious choices. And again, had I stayed in TV as a freelancer, like my husband, I don't think, I think two freelancers working on short-term contracts didn't sound like a good idea mm-hmm. if you wanted to pay the mortgage and have kids. It sounded sensible to have one person who, whatever else happened had a salary, had flexibility. Our jobs, I always say to my female PhD students and things, it is flexible. You can make it work for you. You can swap days like I did. Mm. It doesn't mean to say that you're not doing your work, but you're able to be flexible. If you've got a fixed nine to five or you're doing location filming, then... You're stuck. You are stuck. But today we're allowed to do that a little bit more than we were in the past because you can work from home with a computer. So you, oh, yeah. yeah. It's completely I mean, changed. so changed. And yeah. I think that's so exciting for young people. Don't you think there's still a stigma, though, that if you're not there, you're not counted? Well, it was interesting. I was at Raw Holloway, then I went to Warwick. And I, when I went to Warwick, I meant commuting from Oxford 
I was head of department. I had a two and a half year old who was still breastfeeding. She refused to take anything else out of a bottle. I mean, not during the day. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't take her, With you know, you. clamped to me to yeah. work. But when I arrived, I suddenly realised I entered a department where the female members of staff who were a little bit older than me, they were 10 years older than me, they, I think, made a decision not to have children. I think they'd thought that careers and children were incompatible. But my younger female colleagues said, we're so glad you're here. So it means that we won't feel guilty if we want to have kids. I just thought, oh, my God. Well, yeah, I know. Wow. Well, there's safety in numbers, let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> but they also saw someone who was able to make it work. I wasn't always well-tempered and things, but it's still my daughter's reached it, reached the age of 15, and I was head of department and quite a good one. So it was sort of it was okay. So I don't think women feel the same pressure to make a decision. I think you just simply think, I will make it work, and you can make it work. And I just said, look, as long as the work gets done and the okay. students get taught and you and your books get written, I'm not going to ask questions about where you are if you're not here. And it all worked. And did you have a partner? Yeah. My mother was a single parent. I think it's very different if it's a single parent. That is a significant pressure. Did you feel that as a child? Yeah. When my father left, she did sit me and my brother down. He was three and I was eight and said, look... I'm going to have to get a job full-time, which means I'm going to do very little cooking and no housework. And my brother, who's still got massive eyes, just looked up at me. And I just thought, <gasps> you must not rot the boat. This is the only parent we've got. You know, this she's is fine. Doing, she's doing her rules. best. She is. And one of her best friends always say, look, she's doing... Her friend was in the same boat. We're doing the best we can. And I felt that was fine. And I was a latchkey kid. And my daughter quite often is. But I don't think that's... I really don't think it's that bad. Sometimes I thought, oh, it must be nice to come home and there's mum and a cup of tea and some biscuits, but... And someone to chat to. Someone to chat to. Yeah. But if you ask my daughter, she quite likes it. She says, oh, I can turn the music up really loudly. Yeah. And I can... Eat whatever Eat I whatever I want. want. Yeah. I won't have you saying, eat some fruit. Yeah. So I felt it, but it, I don't feel it was a negative. I agree. My children said the same thing about our situation. Did they? Yeah. Well, my yeah. children they say it. they had. They think they had much better holidays because I worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I was Figured in a better that... mood because I worked. Figured you know, because you feel yeah. more positive about yourself. Is there a job you've ever wanted to run away from? Uh, there are parts of the job. I've had to terminate contracts. That's not ever something that is easy or pleasant to do. Every, uh, uh, quite rarely, but sometimes when things get overwhelming, you know, you just sort of think it would have been so much easier had I just stayed at home or been working in John Lewis. Oh, gosh, or, you know. yes. But I just feel that something becomes manageable if you've broken it down into its little parts. So rather than saying, I've got too much to do, I can't cope, I'm just going to go to bed, say, OK, I can do that, I can do that, I can cross those things off and then it won't be quite so bad. Yes. But at my kind of level, it's usually someone higher up the chain who mm -hmm. said, we want you to close down that centre, which is the example I'm thinking about. And it's very tough. But giving yourself time to do that too. I mean, to think about it is important. So by writing it down, it gives you yeah. that opportunity. Yeah, to... and break it down, think, how am I going to do this? What's my role within this? Who do I need by my side? Mm. So has someone taught you that approach or is this something you've just decided? I don't think... I must have just picked it up. 
perhaps someone else was doing it. But I also think a classic thing that women do, or perhaps I do and I'm generalising, is to assume if one's asked to do something that you've got to do it on your own. So when I was asked to close something, I thought, oh, blimey, I've got to do it on my own. Then I thought, no, this is an HR issue. I'm not an HR director. I'm going to go to HR and get them to do it. Get a kind of, at least have a buddy who knew, you know, legislation. And then it was much better. And there's a real reason for that, which is that someone brings insight and an expertise that you don't have. How do you describe yourself in the workplace? Do you think you're very collegiate? And do you think that's important? I hope I am. I think I'm collegiate. Um, I like to feel that I'm generous. I take people seriously. I'm not terribly hierarchical. I sometimes feel I could be perhaps more in the sense that not because I feel that hierarchies are important, but... I do sometimes worry I get that people don't take me very seriously. Why? But I, I don't know. Why does, does it, why does it matter or why? Because why do you feel that way? This is, I think, a feminine strategy that if you're an intellectual woman, play it down because otherwise men will feel threatened. Threatened. You know. Threatened. And yes. so I think one does learn. I mean, women who are middle-aged on, we are a completely different generation from the people that, who we now teach. And I feel that there is still a sense of that, of downplaying slightly one's own seriousness. And I find myself doing it sometimes. Mm. And that annoys me. Have you ever experienced any kind of sexual misconduct in your workplace? Personally? Mm. No. I've been referred to as totty. Oh. Yeah, I know, by a, okay. by nice. a vice principal. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, long, long time ago. And if a woman, a young girl, came to you with an issue, what would you advise her to do? There are now mechanisms that they didn't used to be. There are ways of dealing with it. Quite often, it's not it's not an isolated case. I would also try and reassure that the systems are there to support and to deal with this in a way that it didn't used to be the case, so that someone feels protected and looked after. There's never a good ending to those situations, in my experience. Really? For anybody. I have known a case when a male colleague was reprimanded, talked to, and never crossed the line again. Did he, did he also leave? No, because it was actually consensual. That's so it was different. different. It was different, different but yeah. colleagues said this isn't appropriate, whether yeah. it's consensual or not. And this person completely understood in a way that, I mean, when I was a student in the early 80s, there were no boundaries. So you asked the question earlier whether I'd ever experienced it. I did when I was a student. But UCL has people they can speak to, you can speak to at UCL. Oh, yeah. I just think it's very difficult to be brave enough to expose someone, particularly if they are somebody who's more senior to you. Of course, because it is fundamentally an abuse of power. Someone feels they will get away with it because they are more powerful and quite often you hear that that's what someone says. They say, if you don't do what I want, I will ruin your career. Or I will, mm. And you have to be very strong not to... Collapse under that. Yeah. yeah. Not to just think, OK, I'll go along with it. Yeah. Clearly you have a very demanding job. And in fact, you've done several se- a series of demanding jobs. The question of work-life balance arises. Would you say you found that balance... I haven't found the balance in terms of it's not equal. I spend more time working than at home, probably. And there is a certain guilt goes with that. I mean, I remember when I stood down as 
as dean at Warwick, I realised that various things that my daughter wasn't getting on particularly well at school, and I kind of hadn't noticed. And I did feel very badly about that. But I then intervened, and it was fine. But there is a guilt that certain things you miss and certain yes. things you also forget because you're working so hard. Like, a lot of my friends can rattle off, for example, when their children took their first steps or when... Yeah. I can't remember. No. Because probably it was a day when... You I weren't was also there. trying to do other... what probably wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. And I probably, you know... But it doesn't mean to say they can't walk. Yeah. <laughs> I had incidences with my youngest son who, when I left student-teacher meetings, I would be in tears... How come I didn't notice this, that he was actually failing at doing this? I know. No, it and, is. But you just think, well, just figure out a way to get around it. And it always works out for the best. Yeah, it does. Also, sometimes I felt guilty because I didn't feel guilty enough that I wasn't there. Actually, a very good friend of mine who's still a friend, when I said I wasn't going to go part-time or give up my job, she said, she basically said, well, I don't see the point of having children. And I thought, no, there's a huge point. You know, you just don't do it in quite the same way. way yeah. You just said you're in the same order. Well, some people have their children younger and then form their career, and that works. Yeah, I'm now wishing I'd done that, looking at how long it's, it is until I can contemplate not earning. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. I mean, I married a, my kind of college sweetheart, so we could have easily done it early, but we just never crossed our minds. So advice to young people? Is you can do it two, two ways. ways. One is you can do it young and get your life back later. Later. But then it worked out. Is there anyone in your life who you look up to? My Italian grandmother was a very pretty exceptional for her generation woman. She must have been born about 1909-1910. Anyway, wow. she had a degree and I think had a second degree as well. Mm. She was a chemist and my grandfather he was a successful businessman, a self-made man, let's say, was very keen on her not having to work. And she, it was clearly something that she resisted. She read a lot and she used to kind of crochet in a rather ferocious, as if it was a displacement activity. Right. Even when I was a kid, I kind of thought... Oh, she made doily. endless squares yes. to pick hot pans yes, up. Yes. I thought, I'm sure you don't need Needs. 20. No. <laughs> you know, no one needs that many. But she said to me, she said to me, Stella, promise me, you must never give up your job for either a children or a man, and you must learn how to drive. Right. Her voice, when I thought, oh, shall I go part-time? I'll be able to spend more time with my son. I thought she told me that for a reason. So mentors are useful to help steer people through ups and downs of life. Have you got a mentor? I've had unofficial mentors. To have someone who was 20 years older than me, so had always worked full-time, been the main breadwinner, had a daughter, kept it all going. To see someone do that was really important to me because that generation, oh, I experienced this, especially when I was in television, of it was really tough for me, so I'm going to make sure it's tough for, for you, you, as yeah. opposed to I'll help. I'll help so I hope I can help definitely PhD students navigate the work-life balance make decisions that aren't going to be detrimental to their life. Work is not the be-all and end-all. And definitely younger colleagues, when they hit the decision around children, around what shall I do about that. Do you think there's more pressure on women in academia to be role models for, for their students than men? I think probably there still is. 
However, I say that, but then my daughter, who's 15, she understands fluidities of gender in a mm-hmm. way that she just takes for granted a whole load of issues that were issues and are for people of my generation. So perhaps that is also changing. And something we want to ask all our guests, and that is looking back in moments of crisis and you went a certain way or you made a certain decision, what advice would you give to your early career staff, your students today? Obviously, I wouldn't have the children I've got, but I I would say don't be too fixated on doing the right thing for other people. I actually remember a female head of department saying, please don't go and have another baby because it was quite difficult when you were off. So one piece of advice I'd always say is, I mean, don't be completely selfish, but don't just do exactly what you think other people want you to do. They asked you not to have another child because it made it difficult for them. How did, how did you react to that? I, I pretty much took it quite seriously. And I thought, oh, OK. You know, it, I mean, it was tempered by the fact that I didn't necessarily find it easy, but I didn't dismiss it. If you're a research track academic, you are entitled to research leave. So you are relieved of teaching. You stay supervising your PhDs. You kind of accrue time through your teaching. What's interesting is that maternity leave still does count towards sabbatical retirement. You are still working, even if you're not working by teaching. And it's something you have to do for your career and for your job. And actually, I remember when I did eventually have my second child and I realised that these are the rules, that maternity leave counts towards sabbatical entitlement. So I went to my head, different head, and I said, look, I know this sounds ludicrous. I know I've had a year out. And I was a very prolific researcher, so it's not as if I kind of just took the chance to recharge my batteries. When I was pregnant and when I just had a baby, I still carried on writing. Breastfeeding, carried on writing, you know. (laughs) And he basically just said, well, you're taking the piss. I said, no, I'm really not. This is, look, this is what it says. I'll wait till the spring term. I'm due in the autumn. I'll wait till the spring term. So I, I, I was able to be accommodating and I could see some of the absurdities of it because I do think it was a bit odd that the, that clock keeps ticking, whereas if you're on research leave, it doesn't. I wasn't going to give in that time. No, good for you. You know. Nor should you. It did mean that I did produce something. Yeah. I'm thinking about it over children, you know, that I left it several years thinking, oh, it would look bad. It would look bad if I got a permanent job and within six months I was pregnant. So I must. And then I've got to do my first book and then I've got to make sure I've got a bit of a career. And Mm. I was very consciously doing all of that. And I would say now, I'd say you can muddle through. Having got to the other end, you can muddle through. It can still happen. Mm. But don't be overly keen to fit in with other people's plans. Follow your heart. Yeah. What you want. But I think that's something women do. It's a much more feminine trait is to worry about what other people People. think. Stella, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's been great. We have this all the time, Cathy, when you and I talk the whole issue about having children or not or going for the career and and not worrying too much about having children and the fact that, you know, when women that have babies and stay home with their babies and and take them through those formative years and sometimes 
feel themselves that they've missed out on a career option and that there's people judging them. And if you go to work and you have babies, they're being judged. So really it's a situation, it seems to me, that whatever you do, you can't really win. But I probably feel that the overriding advice I would give is we've got to support each other. Yeah. So whatever people decide, you need to say that was a good decision, yes. what you did. I agree. And I like the fact that she said that, well, she might have done it differently on reflection. She had her children later in life. Maybe she would advise people to have them earlier and then, you know, concentrate yeah. on the career. So there are options out there. But like you said, I think support from your peers is so important. And I think there's more of that now. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed for joining us in this episode of Talking to Titans. In the next episode, we will be speaking to Leslie Regan, honorary UCL Doctor of Women's Health. For more information, please go to www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash UCL minds forward slash Titans. If you like this episode, leave us a review in your podcast app, share it with your friends, and tweet at UCL with the hashtag TalkingToTitans. The series was a Whistledown production. UCL Minds brings together the knowledge, insights, and ideas of our community through a wide range of events and activities that are open to everyone.